American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays, come down. Throw it all away. Throw it all away. Welcome to another episode of. American Timelines. I'm Amy and that's Joe. And we're History for Jerks. That's right. And we have another guest today. Yes. We have an awesome guest, a good friend of ours. As you know, we've been introducing you to different creative friends we have that do different cool creative endeavors. And this week is no different. Our good friend Harry Bauer is here. Welcome, Harry. Welcome. Hey. Hey, Joe. Hey, Amy. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for being here. Yeah. My pleasure. So Harry Bauer is a comic book nerd, uh, so that he would go really well with our Nerd School podcast. And I do a lot of nerdy programming. We have a nerdy night out show I do, so we love the nerds. And Harry is creating this cool uh, audio drama YouTube Why comic book. Why don't you book. let him describe it? Well, I will. I'm getting it wrong, and he'll correct it. So, <laughs> so he's got this cool YouTube channel that you'll love uh, if you like storytelling, if you like reading Rainbow. It's kind of like that, both comic books. So, Harry, tell us about your project and what you started and what it is. Yeah, sure. So, um, what it is is during the pandemic, it was a pandemic prep project that I developed uh, with lots of people just kind of deciding to do creative things at a time where we really couldn't do a lot. And I was seeing people making children's stories, um, not making them, but reading them um, on, and making like YouTube videos and stuff like that with it. And so I decided, well, I want to do something like that, but a little bit different. And it was something I actually kind of thought about in a roundabout way before, but to do that same kind of concept, but with comic books. And so what I did is... At first, I was considering just reading all the parts myself and basically making like a comic book flip book where it's an audio um, dramatization of the comic book um, while you see all the panels go by. And when I first started doing it, I was going to do all the voices and I'm like, ah, I started recording yeah. myself. I'm like, ah, this is not working. <laughs> you know, you know, some of the voices were not a fit. I was like, oh, no, that's not going to work at all. So... I really wanted to do the fill-in and the story all along. Um, and so I said, you know what? I'm going to just rope in a bunch of creative friends. And the great thing about it was, you know, there's so many people that I'd love to work with that it's not possible because they're not mm-hmm. in the same location as me or people who have been in the city and have moved away and I won't get to see or interact with. It's like, oh, this is a really cool way to get people involved and do things. So that's how it started. Um, and then I got more involved with the content. One of the big things about the videos I'm making is I wanted to really focus on the art. So what I do, it's not only an audio drama, but I also take each of the panels of the comic book and I wipe out the word balloons and the text boxes. Mm. And then using a Photoshop type program, I redraw that content to fill in the space where those things were. And I try to make it seamless to look like the art that the artist originally created oh, gosh, so that you're yeah. 
So it's pretty involved. So so that you're yeah. just looking at the art. And then I've got another friend, um, this guy Joel Letterer, who is a really cool musician who's been a friend from college. And he does the music for it. So he came created an opening theme for it and created a lot of the incidental music that I use during it. So it has been a really cool venture. Uh, it started out that I was just going to do six videos and then it went to seven and I was locked in at seven. And now I've just decided to do three more videos. And they're Fantastic Four, which is, that's the comic book that got me hooked on comics in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, John Byrne is the writer artist that got me hooked. It's like these specific comics. So it's a soft spot for me um, in my heart for these books. And it's just fun bringing them to life. And people are having a really great time making it. Mm-hmm. So it's been a great creative outlet. And it's also spurned like more ideas of other things that I'd want to do uh, with this and other content. So it's been a lot of fun. That, that's cool, too. And I bet it, it probably gives you a lot of experience, too, in practice with editing, uh, you know, editing audio, messing with Photoshop makes you better every time you do it. And then just being creative sounds like is the fun thing. What I've found is during this pandemic, I, like everybody, I've been having a hard time different times. I've gotten in funks where I'm just like, mm-hmm. I just veg out and watch, you know, nine seasons of cheers in a row and don't move (laughs) and you know and i'm just like i feel like a piece of shit and then i'm miserable and i'm like and it dawned on me like halfway through the pandemic i was like you know what i all i've wanted before the pandemic is free time time to time to create other things and i always wish i could do more podcasts and do different things i was like and i have this free time and i'm just laying here like an idiot what am i doing so i started and i started new a couple new podcasts i got a project with my daughter i'm doing i have a friend of mine from i know since second grade we we record like 3 hours of content once a week i don't know what the hell that's going to be yet but i'm doing a podcast where i'm investigating a strange thing that happened when i was in high school and i'm finding old high school friends so i'm in this whole world with you too it's like once you have this creative outlet, it can make life so much better and just lift your spirits in this whole crazy world we've been in. Um, so what you're doing reminded me of kind of myself and what I've been doing, and I got excited yeah. watching what you do and just thinking how fun it probably is just creating that and mm-hmm. the time you're spending on YouTube. And I'm so dumb. I watched your videos, and I love them, and I did, didn't even dawn on me that the that – the, the thought balloons and everything are missing, and that's what makes it look so cool. Uh, and I, I didn't even realize that until you just said that. And and then I just realized how much work that must fucking be to take out every single one of those things. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, and it's been something that it's like <laughs> it's like in part of my whole life now. So, like, I work on the videos, like, at odd times during the day or on the weekend or at night after the kids go to bed. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I spend my time working on uh clean like recreating the panels when we sit around we have like tv time and and dinner with tv and so i bring down my computer and we watch together and like i'm working on the panels while we're watching stuff Mm -hmm. and so that's how i keep moving through that and it, it it you know it really has been a great thing a great thing during the pandemic to be doing this um because yeah it's exactly what you're talking about it's like there's so many things to get into the funk of feeling crappy and like uh i just can't deal and and, you know and there's lots of stuff every like my son has really been struggling with you know the pandemic like Mm -hmm. he is struggling with the whole remote learning thing oh our daughter is too yeah and he 
you know, he just wants to play games all the time and yep. mess around with his phone all the time. So, you know, it's really an emotional battle with him. And so this is just a great escape outlet, especially it's like, you know, we can get outside and do things, but we can't like, you know, oh, I'm going to go out and see music or I'm going to go out and get drink with friends. Like those, yeah. a- you know, outlets are eliminated right now. So it's been great to do this. Um, and it has been really creatively rewarding and it has yeah. been cool to just yeah. get a lot of different people involved. Yeah, that's so cool. And yeah. so where can where can folks find these videos? So if you go to YouTube and you just search for Harry Bauer, uh, B-A-U-E-R, mm-hmm. uh, you'll find my channel. The other thing you can search is Fantastic Four Audio Comics. Oh, and cool. if you search up either of those things, you will you'll find me and my channel or you'll find the videos right away. And so there are five videos that are posted out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sixth one I am knee deep in working on right now. Wow. And that'll be coming up very soon. Um, and then I've got other content on there. So like in, I've my YouTube content started with me taking the frog and toad are friends stories, the kids stories. Oh, I love those. Everybody yeah. loves those kids stories. Yeah. And I did a mashup where, because I was, when I was, when Jasper was really little, I would play with him with like the superhero figures and do yeah. like the voices of the figures and stuff. And so just between those things, like I was doing a lot of certain voices all the time. And so then I started like infusing that into reading books to the kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I did a riff on, uh, um, Frog and Toad are friends where it was Batman and Joker. So <laughs> I, I did this mashup where I took the illustrations from the Arnold Lobel books and then I drew Batman and Joker in the style of Arnold Lobel okay. and then removed Frog and Toad and replaced them with Batman and Joker and then did... Because this is like the genesis. This is where like Fantastic Four audio comics came from. Like I did that first mm-hmm. where it, it was like a storybook thing and, I, and I, so I, I did Batman and Joker and a couple of other characters and, and read the story so that was a lot of fun and then I also have um, I did a independent TV pilot uh, called Mad Scientist Consortium Yes, and so that is on my YouTube channel in four parts but people can also find that on Amazon Prime um, in its entirety oh that's cool so the Mad awesome. Scientist Consortium look that up on Amazon Prime so that yeah, that's a good thing. Um, that was fun. And how long ago was that? Now it seems like it was. So that was five years ago. Now okay. <laughs> I did Jeez. that, which is crazy. Yeah. To time think. is so time is fun. Yeah, like, can you weird. believe yeah. it hasn't even been a year since George Floyd? I was talking to Audrey or yeah. about that, and I, yeah. I just because so much has happened since then, and it feels like it's been forever. But then at the same time, it feels like five years ago was yesterday in a, in a different way too. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Time is really going crazy because, um, that pilot mad scientist consortium was my first film project. Cause I had done little video things using my phone and stuff where I started. That's where the Batman and Joker are friends was put on YouTube and other things like that. But then I was like, okay, I'm going to, um, elevate what I'm doing and make a full blown film project. And that was Mad Scientist Consortium. And so once I started that, I'm like, I want to do more of this. Yeah. So I did another short film and another short film and I was going to kind of keep on a roll, but you know, it's just like life has halted, mm-hmm. you know, for everyone. Yeah. And, and then time is 
amorphous. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. Well, thanks for being here, Harry, and thanks for plugging that stuff. Harry is a friend of ours from Chicago. We did theater and stuff together. I think, Amy, you worked, didn't you? A lot work of pub crawls. Yeah, we did a lot of pub crawls. Yeah. That's really, yes. uh, that's really <laughs> yeah. what we need to talk about. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, I got to say, next year, no matter what, we're coming to the pub crawl, because I was supposed to go last year. Right when the pandemic Oh, my hit. God. And Brian tried to bully him into going. He yeah, said Brian. he was like, oh, come on. It's nothing. They're they're blowing this out of proportion. Come on. And I was like, I, Joe, I don't think you should go. You're going to get stuck in Chicago. And I've reminded him of this several right. times since then. That remember when you were acting like it wasn't a big deal? He's embarrassed by that. But I'm sure. Anyway. Right. Right. So, yeah. But anyway, we love Harry Bauer and his wife, Elizabeth, and I were in plays together. That's um, right. So. Back in the old day when we were young. But now we're going to jump in. Harry, if you're with us here, we're going to jump into 1951. Okay. And so we've got a series of events. Amy's got some, uh, probably a grisly murder to talk about. Incorrect today. Oh, no murder. So sometimes she has supernatural stories or goofy things like that. And so anytime you have anything to say, Harry, just butt right in, especially because there's like a delay a little bit. You might have to just really say, hey, wait, hold on. I got something to say. Or just say it. Uh, okay. It's, it's, you're never out of turn. So right. anything you want to add to it is good. And then I have a little pop culture, historical events. So we're going to go through the month of July of 1951. That's right. Uh, okay. So if you're an expert on July 1951, feel free to correct us. <laughs> I am not, but I'll, I'll still pipe in anyway. Yes. I will, I will give misinformation. Yeah, any misinformation. <laughs> That's what we always or do. Reactions, or even if you okay. just want to say, holy shit. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Amy's got a really good one. This has been something yes. we've been excited to share, and I know what she's I know what she's got this time because she stole this one from me. Well, she didn't steal it from me, but I decided he not wanted to, to do it, and I said that's my favorite story of 1951. So you cannot take it. Yeah. So this is a fun, cool thing that happened. Not f- I wouldn't say fun. Well, I think it's fun just because I'm obsessed with this topic, and so without further ado, let's jump into July. F- Second. Second of 1951? Yes. Nothing at okay. all happened on July 1st. July 2nd, because I thought this happened on July 1st, but you say July 2nd. Go ahead. We'll start with Amy, and we're going to share with Harry a fun story. Okay. I'm going to awesome. talk about the mysterious death of Mary Reeser. Mary Reeser. Do you know who this is, Harry? I have no idea. It's R-E-E-S-E-R? That's correct. Okay. So um, I got my information from an article on allthatsinteresting.com by Kara Goldfarb. Allthatsinteresting.com. Wikipedia, LiveScience.com, an article by Benjamin Radford, and Mental Floss article by Stacey Conrad. Mental Floss, that's a great website. I could use some Mental Floss. Yeah, (laughs) couldn't we all? (laughs) Okay, called the Cinder Woman Case, the story of Mary Reeser of St. Petersburg, Florida goes like this. On July 2nd, 1951. Oh, July 2nd, 1951, the same day that Bill Veek buys the St. Louis Browns from Bill and Charlie DeWitt? Yes, on that day. <laughs> that same um, day. <laughs> Reeser's landlady, Pansy Carpenter, dropped by her apartment to deliver a telegram. All right. When Carpenter arrived, nobody answered. She put her hand on the doorknob and found it to be unusually hot. The so door she called the knob police. was hot and nobody was Danger. home. Police arrived at the apartment, located at 1200 Cherry Street, to find 67-year-old Mary Reeser burned to death in a mysterious fire. Reports said that her body was disintegrated by a blaze of white-hot intensity. Not much of Reeser remained. There was only one slippered foot, which curiously showed no signs of charring, as well as a part of her spine. A piece of her skull remained and was described as shrunken. Uh. Uh, Though the apartment was very warm when the police arrived, the majority of it remained intact. 
plastic household objects near the seat reaser was sitting in had softened and lost shape, but the rest of the room was seemingly unaffected by the flames that engulfed Mary Reaser. The rug had a scorch mark on it. A chair and an end table in the middle of the scorch mark were upright. Since it requires three or four hours of temperatures around 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit for a body to be cremated, the case baffled authorities. <laughs> Due to the mysterious circumstances of the case, it's been suspected that Reeser was a victim of spontaneous human combustion. Spontaneous. That's what I was thinking. Yes. Yes. Spontaneous human Either combustion. Either that or tie into my stuff, it was Johnny Storm. He was really pissed off. Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> that goes right along with Fantastic know, Four. Yeah. You know who Johnny Storm is? Yes. The human torch. So, wait, before we go any further, I'm obsessed with this because I remember vividly my mom telling me, and this is a mistake. She was she's probably gonna feel bad if she listens to this, but she told me about spontaneous human combustion when I was about five years oh, old. God, and yeah. I remember she was doing laundry. I remember the moment she told me about this <laughs> that, because I heard about it somewhere. Spont human like I think Steve Martin or somebody had a bit about it, so I asked yeah. her what it was, and she explained. Oh yeah, sometimes people just explode. <laughs> and, and I'm sure I was, you slept really well that night. <laughs> I didn't sleep for weeks. I was miserable. I was scared. I was freaked out. I was like, what do you mean people just combust? She's like, yeah, it's just happened a few times. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes people will explode. So the, my whole like year of being five years God. old, I thought I was going to explode possibly. Or I thought oh. she would explode. And like, yeah. are you kidding me? So I just thought people would just explode. It was, a, it was horrible. Yes. And so I haven't thought about that much since then, but... I had a rough childhood worrying about spontaneous, spontaneous human combustion. Human combustion. But now, and so I think it's real. Well, this is when a, a person bursts into flames from a chemical reaction in their body without any apparent ignition of an external heat source. Right. Though there have been accounts of alleged human combustion since 1663, not all scientists aren't convinced. Not all scientists are convinced or aren't convinced? It, this says not convinced. Not all scientists aren't convinced. That's a double aren't negative. Aren't convinced that it did No, that's happen. weird. Yeah. That sounds weird. Double negative. Yeah. Chief Cass Burgess was the detective on research case at the time. This fire's the curious thing, he told reporters. Burgess and his team sent boxes of material from the apartment to the FBI lab in Washington, D.C. for chemical analysis. Some of the materials included a portion of the rug, rubble from the walls, and segments of the chair Reeser was sitting in at the time of her death. The public was infatuated with the case as well. Yeah. Coroner Ed Silk reported that at least 15 amateur detectives had phoned him with their theories. The detective Ed team... Silk put on a, out a statement saying that it was an accidental death by fire of unknown origin. Burgess said that it didn't mean they were concluding the investigation. They were just putting out a release so that a burial could take place. The FBI determined that Reeser's death wasn't the result of spontaneous human combustion. However, the actual cause does remain a mystery. The FBI believed that Mary Reeser's own body fat provided the fuel for the fire that consumed her after possibly lighting a cigarette and falling asleep. She was set on fire, and once the body becomes ignited, almost complete destruction occurred from its own fatty tissues. Oh, really? Ooh. Fat is flammable. Like a candle. Like a candle wick. Yeah. Wow. I guess that, I guess. Yeah. Um, right? So I, I'm all, sorry to add this in here, but I was always, I was thinking recently since, you know, I don't know if this is true, but they say with seagulls. Yeah. If you feed them, uh, was it a Mentos? Oh. Or Alka-Seltzer? Alka-Seltzer. If you give a seagull okay. Alka-Seltzer, it'll explode. Oh, Jesus. Who told you that? I don't know. I've heard that a lot. <gasps> oh, my God. That? Where are you? I, I actually think my son told me that. Oh, my God. Hey, that's your son, too. 
He also told me there's <laughs> a such thing as a fire NATO. Yeah, there's a fire NATO. That's a thing we just found that out. That terrified me for a day or Our two. Our son is teaching us horrible things. But if that, so I don't know that it's true that if you feed an alka seltzer to a seagull, it'll explode. All right, explode. let's get back on but topic. If it is, that opens the door for a spontaneous human combustion, I think. Oh, okay. While the FBI's explanation had a certain logic to it and only provided a partial explanation, a certain an- anomalies remained. For instance, a pile of newspapers stacked next to Razor's chair remained completely unscorched. Dr. Wilton Krogman, a professor of physical anthropology um, and an experienced fire researcher, disagreed with the FBI's conclusion. He wrote that of all the fire deaths he'd investigated, I cannot conceive of such complete cremation without more burning of the apartment. And so um, I wanted to, since that was kind of what it was about, I I thought I'm going to look at see what the uh, some of the other notable cases of spontaneous human combustion are in history. Oh, yeah. I so I have a few that. more. Well, we talked a little bit about it with the horrifying history gal, right? I don't remember. Oh. Okay. We do too many episodes. <laughs> so Margaret yeah. Hogan, an 89-year-old widow who lived alone in a house on Prussia Street, Dublin, Ireland, was found burned almost to the point of complete destruction on May- March 28, 1970. Oh, she was burned to death the same day that on Green Acres, Lisa's skittish uncle Fedor... Uh, uses the Douglas home to hide out, mostly under the bed and sofa, <laughs> and he claims he's on the run from the secret police who want him for a valuable formula he's smuggling out of Hungary that same day? Yes, yeah, that wow. same day. Oh exploded God. on that. Yep. What a coincidence. Yeah, what a coincidence. <laughs> Plastic flowers on a table in the center of the room had been reduced to liquid, and a television with a melted screen sat 12 feet from the armchair in which the ashen remains were found. Otherwise, the surroundings were almost untouched. Her two feet and both legs from below the knees were undamaged. Now, this is my connection with spontaneous human combustion. My uncle, Rob, had a book of strange and unusual paranormal. I think it was like the Time Life books or something. Your uncle, Rob, who also has a thin mustache right now, right? Doesn't he have like a thin Yes, John he has Waters a Hitler mustache. mustache. Oh, he's got a Hitler right mustache? Now. No, it's not. I'm just wow. Kidding. All right. Anyway, in that book was a, um, this photograph of this leg. Like oh. it was like a, a blast in the floor, and, a leg and there was just there. slippered leg yeah. that was burned. Well, next when you to the said pole. slippered leg or slippered foot, yeah, from the first one, that's a graphic. Yes, you know I can picture that, and that's the thing when you see these pictures of spontaneous human combustion. That's what it is. It's it's jarring. It's a char, and then just a a body part that didn't. Yep. Uh, a small coal fire had been burning in the grate when a neighbor left the house the previous day. However, no connection between this fire and, th- and that in which Miss Hogan died could be found. Huh. An inquest held on um, in April of 1970 recorded death by burning with the cause of the fire listed as unknown. Hmm. Then there was Henry Thomas, a 73-year-old man who was found burned to death in the living room of his council house on the Rassau estate in South Wales in 1980. His entire body was incinerated, leaving only his skull and a portion of each leg below the knee. Again, with the legs not being burned. Well, yeah. it's, it must be There's something. a consistent in, theme here. Yeah. yeah. Torso. Well, if it's about, and I'll get into it, but if it's about fat, body fat, then. Your legs aren't that fat. Yeah, your, your appendages aren't really fat. You don't have a lot of fat in your feet and hands. Yeah, some people right. do. Well, yeah, that's true. All right. Yeah. Um, like, so the feet and legs were still clothed in socks and trousers. Man. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Wait. Jeez. Okay, what? The feet and legs were still clothed in socks and trousers. 
Yeah. Half huh. of the chair in which he'd been sitting was also destroyed. Police for forensic officers decided that the incineration of Thomas was due to the wick effect, which I will get into. We'll get oh, to so it. Oh, so the wick effect. Yeah, okay. I'll let you talk okay. about it. Okay. Robert Francis Bailey apparently experienced something similar about 13 years prior to Thomas's incident. A group of office workers were waiting for the bus around 5 a.m. on September 13th, 1967. Wait, they were waiting for that bus on September 13th, 1967, the same night that on the Beverly Hillbillies, the Clampets head to England to visit the castle Jed inherited and misunderstandings were abound from Jethro mistaking San Francisco for London to the impounding of Granny's medical supplies to the real intentions of the elderly chemist. Yes. All that was happening while this explosion was happening? Insane. I always get those cities mistaken. <laughs> yes. Right? Jethro. You joker. Jethro okay. was silly, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. So that, they were waiting the, for the that's bus. That's the era where every TV show was about farm hicks. I know. We had the Beverly yeah, Hillbillies. Green Acres. Green Acres, yep. yeah. And uh, Hee Haw was around there, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes, they were. So it was a group of workers waiting for the bus. And they noticed flames in the upper window of a building. They immediately called the police, who rushed to the scene of the derelict building. There they found the still-burning body of Robert Bailey, a homeless man. The policeman first to the scene reported that a blue flame was being emitted forcefully from a four-inch slit in his abdomen. And his teeth were clenched down on the newel post of the staircase he had collapsed next to. They managed to extinguish Bailey by forcing a hose into the abdominal cavity. No external means of ignition were found on his body, and he was a non-smoker. He huh. was a known alcoholic, though, drinking denatured alcohol because it was cheap. Denatured alcohol is the stuff without any beverage properties to it. Ugh. It's often used to ignite fires while camping and to remove stains from clothes and, and upholstery. That makes a little sense. One theory was yeah. that all of the denatured alcohol in his gut somehow reacted with an igniter of some sort. That's mm. the whole thing. That's what the horrifying history gal talked to us about. It's like the big thing that's missing is the ignition. With the stuff. The chemicals are there in your body, technically, to start fires, but the... That spark, the ignition, yeah. what's igniting it? Right. So is it bone on bone or is it bone on something? And mm. then on December Don't 20... Don't eat those bones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seriously. On December 22nd, 2010... Oh! December 22nd, 2010, the same day... I, I made a theme here. On Thrillbillies on Fuel TV. Did you know there's a show called <laughs> Thrillbillies? No. <laughs> on Fuel I TV, no idea. they had an episode of Thrillbillies where the boys play Crack the Egg... Shrimpy gets a massage, Crumb and Cam learn to fly kites, and Zach gets lost wakeboarding. All that on Thrillbillies. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> That's now I have to show. find out what Thrillbillies is. Well, I know. Not only am I new to Thrillbillies, I didn't know there just was a... Just to figure sh- out who Shrimpy is. Yeah, sh- <laughs> I didn't know there was a channel called Fuel TV, but there is. I, oh. It's probably some testosterone-laden... Like, yeah. it sounds like, you there, know... There's probably the a show maximum. called... There's probably just a show called Nutshots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What are you doing? I'm watching nut shots on Fuel TV. What are you doing? And Henry would love it. Yeah, Our would. son would love that. It would be his favorite show. Shots, yeah. All oh. right. Uh, yes, on December 22nd, 2010, the death of Michael Faraday, a 76-year-old man in Co- County Galway, Ireland, was recorded as spontaneous combustion by the coroner. Ah. The doctor, Galway. Kieran McLaughlin, made this statement at the inquiry into the death. This fire was thoroughly investigated, and I'm left with the conclusion that this fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion, for which there is no adequate explanation. Wow. And so um, here are some commonalities among recorded cases of spontaneous combustion. Here are some characteristics. Okay. The mm. victims are chronic alcoholics. Yep. 
That makes sense. That's what makes me believe it. They are usually elderly females. The, uh, the body has not burned spontaneously, but some lighted substance has come into contact with it. Like a cigarette? The hands and feet usually fall off. Oh. The fire has caused very little damage to combustible things in contact with the body, and the combustion of the body has left a residue of greasy and fetid ashes, very offensive in odor. Oh, but wow. that stinks. Yeah, can you imagine trying to sell that house? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be on the cleanup crew. <laughs> Everything uh, is fine. We got new uh, new roof and new heating system, but uh, this lady spontaneously combusted. Yeah, right here. Any, anything a about nasty, this nasty, rotten flesh smell. <laughs> so alcoholism is a common theme, um, in part in the early literary references about spontaneous combustion, because some Victorian era physicians and writers believed believed it was the result of alcoholism. Yeah. Um, here's some explanations. Oh, some explanations. Are any of them religious? I don't think I oh. added those. So fire does not fires do not typically start on their own. When investigators search for the cause of forest fires, they don't assume that the flame ignited itself. Rather, they use suspect they usually suspect that a careless camper or a lightning strike caused it. However, many things can self ignite without exposure to flame under the right circumstances, including coal dust, piles of compost, and usually and used oily rags. But it's a whole different matter to claim that people can suddenly burst into flames for no apparent reason. There is no doubt that bodies can burn. Crematoriums routinely reduce human body, blah, blah, blah. Typically, there is no obvious source of ignition in these cases. No open fires nearby that might set the person aflame. Furthermore, the victims are killed and not, for example, only partly burned on one arm or leg. It's always fatal. Some claim that burning often seems to begin in the chest or stomach area, leaving the grisly remains of legs and hands intact. Others claim that the furniture and floors under the surrounding victims remain mysteriously unburned. Some of these popular claims are simply wrong. For example, there are many photographs of supposed victims that clearly show extensive burning and damage to the clothing and surroundings of the burned person. It's also important to understand a bit of fire forensics. Many fires are self-limiting. That is, they put themselves out naturally because they run out of fuel. Though the public often sees uncontrolled fires completely engulfing and burning down entire rooms and buildings, fires are unpredictable. It's quite possible, for example, for only a rug, bed, or sofa to catch fire without spreading to the rest of the room. Because fires normally burn upward instead of outward, there's nothing paranormal or strange about finding a victim in one part of a room burned to death while the rest of the room has little more than smoke damage. And then we get to the part about the source of ignition. What could possibly cause people to suddenly burst into flames? A century ago, it was blamed on intemperance and even God's wrath. Most victims, there's your religion. There's my religion. That's right. right. That's You're right, Joe. Yeah, I knew somebody would say that. Yep, most victims <laughs> were assumed to be drunkards who had saturated their cells with alcohol. In the 1970s, a quasi-Freudian explanation came into vogue, suggesting that a person's depressive emotional states could somehow cause him or her to be inflamed. Others have well, suggested, if that was true, yeah. everybody would be burning up during the pandemic. Yeah, that's yeah. what I would say. Yeah. Well, Seriously. All the alcohol everybody consumed. Like, yeah. I, right. I think I drank Forget from, about it. I drank from April to November. Uh, <laughs> I don't think. I think well. Add a few months to <laughs> well, that. I took a break in November. And oh, then, now, then I'm you, back. now you're yeah. back. Now I'm back, baby. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Others have suggested that sunspots, cosmic storms, gas-producing intestinal bacteria. That's or, what I think it is, the intestinal bacteria. Or even a buildup of the body's supposed vibrational energies may be to blame. How about that? But these are all pseudoscientific explanations, and there is no evidence of any of them. 
Are you calling um, me a pseudoscientist? So our bodies I are... I will. You're yeah. a pseudoscientist. A mad pseudoscientist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our bodies are 60 to 70% non-flammable water, and the simple fact is there is no physical or medical mechanism by which a person could possibly self-combust. If people truly could suddenly burst into flames without being anywhere near an open flame, presumably there would be examples that have occurred while the victim was swimming in a bathtub or even scuba diving, yet those cases do not exist. If the person is asleep, intoxicated, unconscious, infirm, or otherwise unable to move or put the flames out, the victim's clothes can act as a wick. Most people spend most of their time wrapped in, in, wrapped in flammable clothing made up of cottons and polyester blends. And that would maybe also explain why we don't really see modern cases of, of this. Because not many people right. wearing polyester. Com- combustible, yeah, <laughs> yeah. clothing. Um, there's also a rare medical condition called Stevens-Johnson syndrome that in extreme cases may be mistaken for a case of an aborted spontaneous combustion. The skin disease, which can be triggered by a toxic reaction to medications, including antibiotics and prescription painkillers, causes the appearance of severe burns and blisters and can be fatal. Ah. So that's interesting. So if, if com- spontaneous human combustion is a real phenomenon, why doesn't it happen more often? There are 7 billion people in the world, and yet we don't see reports of people bursting into flames while walking down the street. No one has ever been seen filmed or videotaped, for example, on a surveillance camera, suddenly bursting into flames. It always happens to a single person left alone near a source of ignition. And if some natural but unknown mechanism causes the combustion, why would it only occur in humans? Why wouldn't cows and dogs and elephants and birds suddenly randomly explode in a ball of flames now and then? I feel like a cow has here or there, hasn't it? Mm. Isn't I'm going to have to Google that. Yeah, we'll have to Google. <laughs> At home, please Google if a cow has exploded. Even if the phenomenon is incredibly rare with billions of animals on the planet, statistically we should expect to see thousands of them exploding every day all around us. And that's, that's all. True. That was it. everything that I found about the whole situation. Yeah, I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I've never seen any exploding animals. No, not I've seen animals with explosive diarrhea. But no <laughs> oh, my God, animals. yes. But you've seen, seen, you've seen a few people explode, haven't you, Harry? Uh, well, yeah, I don't like to talk about it. Sure. <laughs> uh, uh, that's great. So that, that was really my favorite. I think my favorite thing you've done when Amy does UFOs and things like that. I love that. Yeah. He doesn't care for the rape f- and murder. I'm not a fan of the raping. <laughs> uh, or murdering. Well, that's good. That's, that's why I like you, Joe. Yeah, I, Harry knows I don't like rape. That's why we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of beer. All that alcoholic talk made me... <laughs> all that, that made me thirsty. All that talk about spontaneous combustion <laughs> yeah. made me want to drink a beer. Don't combust. It reminded me, uh, spontaneous human combustion would be a great way to end this podcast. So. And this it it mar- sure would. Marriage. And I got a better... And this marriage. And this life. Yeah. <laughs> I got a good shot at getting out of this whole pandemic. If I uh, I got a better shot drinking. So I'm going to yeah. have another hop slam. Uh just yeah, eat a couple ready. of bones, they'll rub together, drink the alcohol, something's going <laughs> to spark. Yeah. Right. So uh, we're going to jump, I'm going to jump the rest of July, and so we're still at the beginning. So that yes. was July 2nd, your event happened. So I have some events here uh, that I'm going to cover uh, that aren't grisly or anything. They're just sort of pop culture, historical things um, that we're going to finish okay. out July. Okay? Yeah, let's do it. So let's finish out July. So uh I'm going to skip that one. Yes. Well, I just want to mention this real quick. <laughs> Tuesday, July 3rd. I know Amy hates sports at all. And I'm only right. mentioning that this is golf. I don't like golf either. But the 33rd PGA Championship 
uh, Sam Sneed won at Oakmont Country Club in Oakmont, Pennsylvania. Did you know who Sam Sneed was, Harry? No. All right. He's a, apparently he was a super famous golfer, and I only wanted to keep this in because there was a rapper that Snoop Dogg had on one of his albums called Sam Sneed, and he mm. and he says, "My name is Sam Sneed. You better recognize." And then Snoop Dogg yells at him and says, "Your bitch chose me." We can handle this like some gentlemen, or we can get into some gangster shit. Have it your motherfucking way. So this whole story was just an excuse for you to be able to rap Snoop Dogg. I'm not rapping right, it. Right. I'm just it really, it really <laughs> was. It's a ruse. I'm it just repeating just, dialogue. Just... But I, I'm fascinated by the fact that a rapper in the 90s took his name, because his name wasn't Sam Sneed. He changed it to Sam Sneed, to be like this old golfer from the 50s. Yeah. So... Those of you who like Snoop Dogg, that's just a little knowledge for you. You were just teeing this up to do your rap impression. That's right. <laughs> it really uh, was. Total. Well, Harry, you're a baseball fan, right? Yes. Okay, so you might know a little bit. I have a couple baseball things that you might know. Sunday, July 8th, 1951, Yankee Joe DiMaggio and manager Casey Stengel started a feud. Are you familiar with this? I am familiar with the people, but not the feud. Go. Okay, so... Uh, so Casey Stengel was the manager for the, the mm-hmm. Yankees, and Joe DiMaggio was at the tail end of his career. You know Joe DiMaggio, yes. Amy, because he married Marilyn Monroe. That's right. right. Which, as I was researching this, I saw a lot of pictures of them together, and I just was like, man, she was the most beautiful person that probably ever lived. Like, just gorgeous. And, right. and he looked like Mr. Rogers. I mean, no offense yeah. to Mr. Rogers, but he's not even as attractive as Mr. Rogers. No, he was yeah, That's he was true. he was an old at this time, he was an old man. Anyway, he was a great baseball player, but anyway. So on July seventh, nineteen fifty one, I'm not sure it's July seventh or eighth. I had it the eighth and then somebody said it was the seventh. So Casey Stengel took over as the Yankees manager in nineteen forty nine. And Joe DiMaggio was the was in the decline of his great career. His skills had definitely eroded, uh, and the always observant Stengel noticed and had no choice but to react to what he saw. Talk about differing personalities. A known loner who kept to himself, Joe would often deflect attention away from himself. Casey was always a clown. He never stopped talking and loved being the center of attention. As the 1949 season wore on, the situation between the two Yankee icons quickly de- deteriorated. In July of 1950, Stengel asked Joe to play first base. The always proud DiMaggio was worried sick over the demotion. Going to first base is kind of a demotion. Like, there's kind of a feel, and Harry, you can back me up. Anybody can kind of play first base, right? Like, you don't have to be very athletic. You put the fat guys yeah, on first, right? Within relative terms. <laughs> so <laughs> so in, ni- in the 50s, this was a demotion for him. According to teammate Tommy Henrik, Joe was afraid of making a dumb play because he's not familiar with first base. It would have killed him to make a stupid play. And sure enough, the old baseball adage was fulfilled. The ball will always find you. In one game, the great DiMaggio fell while fielding a ground ball. To add insult to injury, there were pictures in the newspapers the next day. Needless to say, Joe did a slow burn, and he blamed Stengel for the humiliation. And he was kind of mad, and that's kind of where some of it started. Then in August, Joe fell into a slump and Casey benched him for a week. So there's this other thing about legends. So it's almost like it's sad when they don't know when to quit, you know, and we all see this, but there's also seems to be an unwritten rule for a manager. You don't, you know, you don't bench Joe DiMaggio. I mean, he's still Joe DiMaggio. So I kind of feel for Casey Stengel in this whole thing. Um, 
So uh, he benched him for a week, and when he finally returned to the order, Casey moved him out of his customary fourth slot. He had occupied that since Lou Gehrig retired. But the most humiliating move of all occurred on July 7, 1951 at Fenway Park. Casey had the audacity to remove the great Yankee Clipper in the middle of the game while he was, oh. while he was in the field. And here's a count of what happened. In the second inning, Stengel asked reserve first outfielder Johnny Hop to trot out to Joe DiMaggio in center field. Hop didn't even have a glove. He spoke to DiMaggio, who stood still for several moments before jogging off the field. Rookie Jackie Jensen took over as center fielder. So even now, I've never seen that happen. Like when you yeah. replace somebody, you do it at the at the at the plate, right? You put in a right. pinch hitter, and then they're out, and you replace them. So that's a humiliating to send somebody out yeah. there in the middle of that game. And it's Joe DiMaggio. Casey later explained his controversial move. He said Joe hasn't been hitting, and he hasn't been playing good ball. He had a sore leg, and the rest will help him. Needless to say, the move did not sit well, well with DiMaggio. When asked about it the next day, the still-seething DiMaggio tersely replied, you'd better talk to Stengel about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's how he said it. Mm. Um, I'm sure. Later, after DiMaggio had cooled off, he attempted to defuse the situation, saying that he had pulled a leg muscle, and he said, I didn't want to take a chance on hurting it anymore, so I got out. And the injury was confirmed by trainer Gus Mouch. But it's not known if DiMaggio held a grudge against Stengel for the incident. But by all accounts, the feud between the two Yankee Hall of Famers had cooled sometime after Joe retired. This is all from BaseballHistoryComesAlive.com. Okay. Mm. So that's a little bit of Joe DiMaggio. More than you've known, other than mm-hmm. he bangs Marilyn <laughs> uh, More than you wanted to know. That's yeah. right. So that is a sad thing when legends fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, particularly in wrestling when they never give up. Um, Jesus. On Tuesday, July 10th, the Great Flood of 1951 reaches its highest point in northeast Kansas, culminating in the greatest flood damage to that date in the Midwestern United States. Uh, Heavy rains led to a great rise of water in the Kansas River, Missouri River, and other surrounding areas of the central U.S. Flooding occurred in Kansas, Neosho, Mare de Sangnes and Vendigris River basins. Yep, nailed <laughs> that. The damage uh, in eastern Kansas and Missouri exceeded $935 million. Wow. In 1951, that's equivalent to $9.21 billion. It killed 17 people and displaced 518,000 people. Uh, and there's a, I have a bunch, bunch on that that I'm not going to go yeah. into because I have some other things I want to get to. So... Uh, Thursday, July 12th, uh, the Cicero race riot of 1951 occurred on July 11th and 12th, 1951. You know what I did the other day? I don't know why. You participated in a race riot? No, I looked up, um, the history of race riots and there's a whole Wikipedia page about, and I was, I just, cause I didn't know, you know, there's so little that I know about that side of history and. Um, it was really crazy to, you know, to, there's so many important ones that I never heard of. So. Well, that, that's sort of a thing we've been kind of doing through the pandemic, too, is we, you know, with the George Floyd murder yeah. and everything, we were kind we've been kind of doing the workbook uh, called White. Me and White Supremacy. Me and White Supremacy. I thought mm. White Supremacy and me. So it's really just for anybody. You think you're an ally. You think you're this great. And then you do it and you realize 
how much white privilege you really have and all the things yeah. you're ignorant of. And I talk to friends every day that remind me of, yeah, you don't know that because you're white. You know, like mm-hmm. you've right, never had right. to deal with that. You haven't had to think about that. Mm-hmm. So we've been trying to pay more attention to that. And this is no different. And that's the other thing. I struggle every time. It's like we started this podcast to be sort of like silly and fun and a fun outlet. But we've we've now diving into history and now we're in an era where it was supposed to be just murder and pop culture and you know grisly true crime but being that i'm covering pop culture we get into some awful things uh and i want to like my i want to just not talk about it because it's not fun it's not funny it's it's awful but i feel like an obligation to at least like acknowledge this stuff and say like it's important not to yeah like not to like we all ignore it which is why we're in where we are so I think we we owe it to everyone to just talk about these things and keep bringing up the fact that black people have been through way more than you can even imagine. It's not over, but it really makes you understand. And this stuff is sickening. Yeah. But this is in Cicero, which is near you. Harry's in Chicago. Yep. That's yep. right. The Cicero race riot of 1951 occurred when a mob of 4,000 white people attacked an apartment building that housed a single black family in a neighborhood in Cicero. Uh because it was the first black family to move in that neighborhood. Mm. Uh, the aftermath of World War II saw a revival of white attacks on blacks in the Chicago area, mostly on the city's south and southwest sides, but also in the western industrial suburb of Cicero. Aspiring African-American professionals seeking to uh, obtain improved housing beyond the increasingly overcrowded Southside ghetto, whether in private residences or in the new public housing developments obstructed by the Chicago Housing Authority, were frequently greeted by attempted arsons, bombings, oh, and angry awful. white mobs, often numbering into the thousands. They, the white people are saying, how dare you, how dare you want to be in the same, you know, you know your place. Yeah, get out of our neighborhood right. because in their mind, you know, that we talked about the redlining and how they, they just felt like they one black person have, coming in would ruin yeah. everything. And it's like... If you think about it from the black person's perspective, like, what are they supposed to do? Right. You don't want them to have anything. Oh, you're allowed to be free now, but you can't have anything. Yeah. It's just like everything since slavery has been just awful. And they built the country. Well, this started in early June 1951. Mrs. DeRose, who owned an apartment building on West 19th Street in Cicero, she got into a controversy with her tenants. She was ordered to refund a portion of the rent. Afterwards, uh, it's either out of anger and or wanting to make a profit, she decided to rent an apartment to Harvey E. Clark Jr., an African-American World War II veteran and graduate of Fisk University and his family in an all-white neighborhood. So they're already saying like mm. they don't know if she did it out of spite for these people or she needed to make a profit or whatever it was. But And that's the other thing is he's a World War II veteran, mm-hmm. you know, bringing his family, and we treat him like this, you know. A high-ranking Cicero official learned that an African-American family was going to move into this apartment building and warned Mrs. DeRose that there would be trouble if he moved in. At 2.30 p.m. on June 8th, a moving van containing $2,000 worth of Clark's furniture was stopped by the police. The rental agent was ushered out with a drawn revolver at his back. A jeering crowd gathered, and Clark was told by police to get out or he would be arrested for protective custody. A detective warned Clark that, I'll bust your damn head if you don't move. At 6 p.m., Clark was grabbed by 20 police officers. The chief of police told him, get out of here fast. There will be no moving into this building. Clark was hit eight times as he was pushed towards a car, which was parked across the street and was shoved inside the car. 
The police told him, get out of Cicero and don't come back into town or you'll get a bullet through you. Mm. A suit was filed by the NAACP against the Cicero Police Department on June 26th, and the Clark family moved in. Good. <coughs> and then the riot happened in July mm-hmm. uh, with them moving in. It was passed along uh, to everyone that there would be fun in the apart- at the apartment. And at dusk on July 11th, a crowd of 4,000 white people Ugh, attacked the apartment building that housed Clark's family and possessions. Only 60 police officers were officers were assigned to the scene and did little Gee, that sounds familiar yeah right it sounds like the same thing it Again, sounds like we, the fucking insurrection there's so many things we find that are the same as today yeah uh, like they purposely know don't yeah. send a lot of police and they did little to control the rioting they just let people yeah, through let like do we saw in the insurrection yep women carried stones from a nearby rock pile to bombard clark's windows another tossed firebrands onto the window and onto the rooftop of the building which 21 family members fled before rioting the mom also destroyed a bathtub, woodworks, plaster, doors, windows, and set fires to the place. Most of the white people who joined in the rioting were teenagers. Firemen who rushed to the building were met with showers of bricks and stones from the mob. Sheriff's deputies asked the firemen to turn their hoses on the rioters, but they refused to do so without their lieutenant, who was unavailable. The situation appeared to be out of control, and County Sheriff John E. Babs asked Illinois Governor Adelaide Stevenson to send in the Illinois National Guard. As troops arrived at the scene, the rioters fought with them. Armed with bayonets, rifle butts, and tear gas, the troops ended the riot by setting a 300-meter perimeter around the apartment block in which the rioting was in progress. By July 14th, most of the violence had ended. July 14th, so several days. Yeah. When the riot was over, $20,000 in damage had been done to the building. Uh, in the aftermath of this, the Cook County Grand Jury failed to indict any of the accused rioters. Oh, my God. Instead, yeah, indicting Clark's attorney from the NAACP, George N. Layton, later a federal judge. His own defense counsel would be future justice of the Supreme Court, Thurgood Marshall. The owner of the apartment building was also charged, and the owner's rental agreement and lawyer on charges of inciting a riot and conspiracy to damage property. The charges were dropped after widespread criticism, though. Uh, but yeah, it just goes on and on about more aftermath and stuff. So just that it lasted several days and nights. Um, mm, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can't believe how much it sounded like it sounds like the insurrection. It's, it, that's the yeah. weird thing is there's so many things we talk about, Harry, throughout the fifties and sixties that it's just history repeating itself. Like we're in yeah. this like cycle and it would be the same people too. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. Yeah. yeah, and I just look at the people today, and I'm like, don't you, don't you want to be on the right side of history? Like you're those people in those videos we see of mm-hmm. Ruby right. Bridges and the first people, right, right? You know, you're those people, and you don't care. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, the buildings at the center of the riots are still standing and occupied as of 2017. Harvey E. Clark died in 1998, age 75, at his home in at Swananoa, Swananoa, North Carolina. And they, like these people are heroes that did yeah. this. Like think about it. Like he, he it knew is. what he was gonna go up against, but in his yeah. mind he was probably like, somebody's got to do this. Somebody's got to be the first. Right. It's just so crazy, awful. And 1951 was not that long ago. Mm. Um. So <laughs> that's the worst thing we'll talk about this time. I have the worst. Yeah, thing. you do. And uh, I'll talk about some goofy things to kind of cleanse our palate. Now. Okay. Um. Saturday, July 14th, the first color telecast of a sporting event happened. 
Ooh. Harry, do you want to guess or aim? Do you want to guess what the event is without looking at my screen? What sporting event was the first televised color sporting event? First? I, I don't think either Ooh. one of you will get it. So it's got to be something weird and obscure. <laughs> oh, shit. I gave that away. So now maybe you will get it. Uh, um... I'll go with ping pong. <laughs> oh, that's very obscure. I was going to say baseball, but... That's not obscure. No, it's not. It, no. It was horse a horse race. Oh, oh that was going to be my other guess. Oh, oh man. Citation <laughs> becomes the first horse to win $1 million in races. Cool. Citation. There was a while... Uh, in, on this I think it was podcast. a lot more popular back then. Oh, I mean, I'm people sure, are yeah. still interested in the horse races, but I mean, that was mm-hmm. so, such a much bigger deal back then. Yeah, if you start a movie with a guy in a fedora at a horse race, you know it's the 50s. <laughs> like, yes. Know, yeah, it's the 40s yeah. or 50s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a while where I made Amy guess the, who won each horse race every year. And, it was awful. Or how much they won or something. Yeah. yeah. Right. She never did it. And then Sunday, July 15th, we have a new theme song. Amy, Amy hates birthday yays. Amy hates birthday Amy hates birthday yays. <laughs> so the idea is that Amy hates it that I cover birthdays, mainly because of yeah. the people I choose to memorialize yes, their birthdays. That's correct. So oh Sunday, boy. July 15th, 1951, James George Janos was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The son of George William Janos and his wife Bernice Martha, mm-hmm. okay. later to be known as Jesse the Body Ventura. Oh, oh I was like, why are we talking? <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Both of his, okay, both now of his, it all makes sense. A lot yeah. of people don't know, but both of his parents were World War II veterans. Ventura has an older brother who served in the Vietnam War. Ventura has described himself as Slovak since his father's parents were both from Slovakia. His mother was of German descent. Ventura was raised as a Lutheran. Born in South Minneapolis by the Lake Street Bridge, he attended Cooper Elementary School, Sanford Junior High School, and graduated from Roosevelt High School in 1969. Another notable alumni from that school, according to Wikipedia, is Barkhad Abdi. Do you guys know who that is? Remember Barkhad Abdi? No. He he played a Somali pirate in that movie where Tom Hanks is that... Tom Hanks is that Castaway? guy. Uh, no, not Castaway, but what's the movie about the guy who got... I know the one you're talking Sully? about. I don't know the name, though. Not Sully. Tom Hanks plays every real guy. What's the one where... Remember the guy who got uh, abducted by Somali pirates, and it's yeah. a true story? I don't, I don't know and the he name, got away I know from, what you're talking about. But the one famous guy, he was one of the Somali pirates. He's real famous. He's from Minnesota. Okay. Uh, anyway, and he's actually Somali. Anyway, that guy went to the same high school as Jesse the Body Ventura, and now you know. <laughs> I feel so much better knowing It's that. a little bit of trivia. You might have a trivia night where somebody asks you that. Uh, Barkad, Abdi, and Jesse the Body Ventura went to the same high school. And that's going to bring us to Monday, July 16th, where J.D. Salinger's book, Blank, is published for the first time by Little Brown and Company. Do you know what book? The Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Amy got that. Sorry, Harry. You lose that. Just, I, I was a little Jeez. too slow. You're too slow. <laughs> I, I had the c- c- on the tip of my tongue, but I just couldn't get it out. <laughs> oh, and then Wednesday, July 18th, I'm going to talk about something real fast. Just because last episode we talked about a boxer. 
and I'm not big on boxing. Harry, are you into boxing? No. All right, me neither. Neither is Amy. But we then found why are we out about, about it? it. We found out <laughs> yeah. about a boxer. We're still talking about it. We found out a boxer last <laughs> episode named Ezard Charles, which I never heard of. He's like a lightweight that always would f- also would fight heavyweight. He's like one of the best boxers of all time. An African American gentleman named Ezard Charles. I never heard of. Mm. But so last month he he won the championship and he already lost on July 18th. He got knocked out by Jersey Joe Walcott, who I also ne- and never heard of. And Jersey Joel Walcott knocked him out in five rounds for the heavyweight belt. And at age 37, Walcott was the oldest boxer to win the title at the time. That record would eventually be broken by 45-year-old George Foreman. And the only reason I included this is Jersey Joe Walcott's real name was Arnold Raymond Cream. Oh, my God. If my name was Arnold Raymond Cream and I was a boxer, I would keep that name. That's a great name. I'm That's Arnold name. Cream, motherfucker. You just got cream. I'm going to cream you. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to cream you. By you Arnold creamed Raymond by cream. cream. Well, Arnold Raymond Cream, later, he became the a sheriff of Camden County, New Jersey, the first African-American to do so. So that's oh, kind of that's a cool good. thing. And actually, he was a referee, and he refereed a, a controversial bout between Sonny Liston and Muhammad Ali. Uh, okay. Or, yeah, Muhammad Ali. So and he got fired based on that bout because he lost count. Like one of them was knocked oh. down and he lost count. He stopped counting, so he got fired. But then he became the first African American sheriff, Camden County, New Jersey. That brings us to Friday, July twentieth, nineteen fifty one. And let's cue the music again because Amy, Amy hates birthdays. Amy hates birthdays. Amy hates hey. birthdays. Yeah, Harry loves it. Amy hates birthdays. <laughs> Especially this one, you're going to really hate this, Amy. Mm-hmm. But Harry is probably going to love this because I think okay. I happen to know Harry's a big fan of this guy. <laughs> Greg the Hammer Valentine was born in Seattle, Washington. Do you know who Greg the Hammer Valentine is, Harry? I do. And you yeah. know what? I really don't love it. <laughs> you know what? Fuck but you, it's Harry. A nice try, I've, I've never once said this to Harry Bauer, and nope, not many people have ever said this to Harry Bauer, but I'm going to say it. Yeah. Fuck you, Harry Bauer. Because <laughs> Greg the Hammer Valentine is not to be disparaged. He's the greatest wrestler of all time. He might be the greatest pop culture icon what of all time. What about Randy Macho I, Man I, I won't disparage him. I'll just ignore him. <laughs> all right, you'll ignore him. So I love Greg the Hammer Valentine because he's probably the stupidest wrestler he's got no personality at all you know a pro wrestler is supposed yeah. to have tons of personality like macho man greg the hammer valentine is a white a blonde a white blonde mulleted lunk of shit like he never says anything he's just a fat yeah. tub of shit his dad was a famous wrestler and he 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 dropped out of college to follow his dad like he went on the road with his dad oh. and so i just love him he had a figure four leg lock He was a shitty <laughs> Shitty, no personality guy. He's probably a great wrestler, but he's just like the ultimate lunkhead, which, you know, if you look him up, it's hilarious. I'm not looking him up. He perfected the fall flat on your face. Like somebody beat the shit out of him and he'd fall flat on his face. Uh, Wasn't he, the only thing I remember about Greg the Hammer, wasn't (laughs) he one of those guys that had like the real greasy hair? Like it was all oily and slick. Yeah, slick back, blonde hair. He had a mullet all the time. He yeah. kind of smushed in face. He kind of looks like my dog, Floyd, a little bit. Uh, uh, anyway, he's he's like just the dumbest wrestler. Like no kid would ever love Greg the Hammer Valentine. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. Anyway, one time he joined. There was a guy named Stop Honky. Stop it! <laughs> no Honky, more about Honky him. Honky Talk Man. You okay. get listen. You get 
two more stories and you're done. Okay, one more <laughs> birthday, and this is a good birthday. So we're going to talk about this real quick. So one more time. <laughs> I'll only do it three times. I've never done the birthday thing, so I'm one three times. One more. Hey, we're going to. Hey, yes. Harry loves it. Hey, Jimmy's birthday. Jimmy's birthday. Yes. <laughs> And this one's a good one. Robin McLaurin Williams was born at St. Luke's Hospital in Chicago, Illinois on July 21st, 1951. His father, Robert Fitzgerald Williams, was a senior executive in Ford's Lincoln Mercury Division. His mother, Lori McLaurin, was a former model from Jackson, Mississippi, whose great-grandfather was Mississippi Senator and Governor Anselm J. McLaurin. A Democrat. Mm. Who knew that? Yeah, I didn't know that. Robin didn't. Williams had two elder half-brothers, maternal half-brother Robert, also known as Todd, Todd for short, <laughs> and maternal <laughs> half-brother McLaurin. Uh, he had English, French, German, Irish, and Scottish, and Welsh, Welsh God, ancestry. You, will you please not go so deep? <laughs> Nobody gives a shit about this. You don't want to know that his, his mother God. was a practitioner of Christian <laughs> no. science? And Williams was raised in his father's Episcopal faith? No. No. You don't want to know. Harry doesn't care either. You don't want to know that he moved to his family moved to Detroit, and he went to the same private school, Detroit Country Day School, as no. Courtney B. No. Vance and Chris Weber. Nobody cares. You no, guys don't alone. care about that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> All right, so I guess we won't even cover July twenty fourth, which was Linda Carter's birthday. That's fine even, with me. No, we that's won't even cool, though. Go I mean, into the fact that comic book tie again. Yeah, Wonder she's Woman. Oh, comic that's book true. Wonder Woman. She she's played my Wonder. favorite. I've got a Wonder yeah. Woman shirt on right now. I See, that's know. why I want to cover Linda and Carter. And she even had a cameo in the new Wonder Woman movie. She did, and you fell that's asleep. Right. You fell that's asleep right. for it. Yeah, I did at the end. You were asleep, yeah. and I saw it. It was anticlimactic a little bit. Well, she was a little bit. Yeah, she you was know. born she, on July twenty fourth. In Phoenix. it was cute though. It was yeah. cute. It was yeah. I love Wonder Woman. She, when the first movie came out, it was right after Trump got elected, and I is was, that right? Twenty yep. sixteen, and I was so upset about the election and I took Audrey and it was Audrey was just barely old enough to see it and her and I went on a matinee and there was just something about it that made me feel so much better like empowered or something yeah. you know because he it, well Trump kind of yeah. represented you know like just sexism the way and he misogyny is with and women and grab stuff. the yeah. pussy and all that shit it was healing mm-hmm. yeah. to see yeah so anyway well, Linda Carter was born in Phoenix, the daughter of Juanita no, and Colby Carter. Stop. <laughs> okay. We don't need to know. But she she was a musician. Did you know she was a musician? Like, I've, there's so much about this. We're done. All right, I'm going to do a spinoff podcast where I just do people's birthdays. That's fine. And okay. I will not You're, be a part of it. And you can sit in a room by yourself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I will sit in that room by myself. For an I, audience of one, I which is you. I am fascinated. Look at all she, of that you have. Like she dropped out of college to pursue a, a career in music, and then she became... She would run a pageant. That's how she started her career. Knew, yeah, she won I a pageant. That. I didn't know that. And then, okay, Saturday, July 28th, RKO Radio Pictures presents Disney's animated feature film Alice in Wonderland to theaters in the USA. I love that one. Did you guys know that that was a big, massive failure at the beginning? Oh, was it? Alice in Wonderland? No. It, uh, yeah, nobody liked it. Uh, it's too trippy, probably. It for was those too trippy. 1950s sentiments. But, so they made it. They made it like a, they put it on television on Disney's television sh- show that he had. And do you know what year it kind of picked up steam? The sixties, probably the seventies. Oh, the seventies. The drug-addled seventies. 
Beginning in 1971, it started screening in sold-out venues at college campuses. Yes. Where everybody was on LSD. So, yeah. The White Rabbit thing became yes. big, you know. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then Monday, July 30th is, a, is the last thing I have. All right? Okay. Uh, and I don't know anything about this. Maybe you guys know a lot about this. But David Lean's Oliver Twist started in 19... 19- the late 1940s, but it was finally shown in the U.S. And they delayed it because they had to cut out 10 minutes of supposedly anti-Semitic references and close-ups of Alec Guinness as Fagan. They had to cut out. It, it would not be shown uncut in the U.S. until 1970. Did you know that? No. Anything about that? I've that never you, seen you, Oliver Twist, have you, you, so have, I have no have idea. Have you ever read it or anything? No. Do you I know, know are you familiar orphans. with Oliver Twist, Harry? A little bit, a little bit. I mean, I, I know the musical, but I mean, I haven't watched it in ages, and I don't I think I, I don't think I ever read the the book. I never, yeah. I never did, but reading sort of the description of it, because I thought I figured you guys would know it really well, because it's like a classic, and I'm not very well read. Cla- yeah. Uh, so I thought I kind of read the synopsis so I wouldn't look so dumb, but I'm glad you guys don't know it I either. Think but it, Charles Dickens is hard to get into. Yeah, it is. It's kinda. tough. I I had to read Bleak House when I was oh, yeah. a kid for school, and that is a tough mm-hmm. read, especially being a kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I do think kind of the way it's written is racist, probably because part of the storyline is that he's this orphan who runs away, and this old Jewish man finds him and adopts him and like puts him up to robbing people and stealing yeah. money, kind of yeah. thing. Oh. And it says he's an old Jew. Like right in right. the thing, and then so when they made this movie, I guess they exaggerated mm-hmm. Alec Guinness's makeup and stuff. Now somebody mm-hmm. said I, I I dug really too deep into this whole thing, but I guess they said Alec Guinness without the, you know, the prosthetic. giant prosthetic and everything, he looked too much like Jesus. So they decided to keep it so that mm-hmm. he didn't look like Jesus or whatever. So I don't know that much about this, but it was very controversial. And they had to cut it out to put it in the U.S., which. I guess it's good if it's anti-Semitic, but sounds like Charles Dickens Dickens was pretty anti-Semitic. anti-Semitic from the way he wrote it. But I haven't read it, so I can't really say that. Yeah. But, um, okay. Anyway, so that about finishes July. There was a lot in July. Yeah, Usually, there was. Like we had a lot. We had nothing in May and June, so now we had a bunch of shit. And I cut out a bunch of things, but... Thanks for being here, Harry yes, Bauer. Yes, thank you so much. Hey, it's fun. thanks for having me. It's so fun to take different friends on our journey that we do every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and it's just a fun ride. Making them react to these random bullshit we talk about. Yes. I've learned some things. Yeah, and that's kind of it. It's like we're, you know, we're learning things along the way. We're having fun along the way. We're drinking some beers and, and then reconnecting with old friends. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we you know I think we need to have Elizabeth on here too. We oh, talked yeah. early on. Actually, we talked about when we had Jessica on. We need to have Elizabeth on because oh, she still sell, is she still selling jewelry. She is. Yeah. Yes, she is. So she could talk about that. She's been making masks during the pandemic too, as part of her. Uh, oh, nice. Her masks. business as well. Yep. Oh, like yep. Ma- oh masks, like masks yeah. for your. I was like yeah, 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 Halloween yeah. masks. Like what? <laughs> I'm an idiot. Yeah, you need a Halloween mask now. Yeah. Not I forgot kind of we're mask. in the middle of a goddamn pandemic. Yeah, no, actually, and she she's in the Fantastic Four audio comic. She plays Invisible Girl. Really? And she does a oh, fantastic cool. job. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so it's cool to have her be part of the whole thing. Please, everyone, check out these comics. You you'd be surprised. I'm not doing it justice by describing it because I watched it and I was like. What is Harry doing? What is it? Uh, what's he doing? 
And then I watched it, and I was like, this is so cool. It's so well done, and the voices are so good. I was just excited that you're employing other actors, too, because you can really... And nobody's, like, half-assing it. They're really going into this full go. Like, I mean, it's it's really exciting, and you can tell they're having fun. And we go back to that whole improv thing where we talked to Adol Refai a few weeks ago where he said, if, if you're having fun doing a scene or creating a project... It's good. It can't be. It comes through. It it comes through and it can't. It's not going to be bad if you're having fun. We feel that with improv. And I think contagious. And that's really what I felt in your YouTube videos. Like I was jealous that I wasn't doing it. I was like, why didn't I think of this? You know, I want to do this. Well, you guys don't have to stay jealous because if I keep going, I will rope you guys into it. That's what I figure. You got so there's so many characters in those things. Like you got to have an idiot guy and girl. We have this audio (laughs) set up. We can send you our MP3s or wave files. Love that. Yeah, Amy would love that for sure. But uh, well, I will talk to you more later. Then that would be awesome. Well, and and please talk to Elizabeth and give her a head. You know, obviously. You can you tell her. her because not only that, like I, like I, my memory sucks. So like, as far as like learning and retaining history, I am the worst. Yeah, but she is awesome, and, and so she would like be able to provide little tidbits and all kinds of ideas. Yeah, so, she yeah, probably totally would. Know. She's smart yeah. too. But but yeah. by all means, if you hated this, feel <laughs> feel free to be honest with her and be like, Jace. Heads up, don't waste your time. Joe and Amy are going to come after you. <laughs> uh, but we figure no. it's a good way. Like Jessica McCartney came on here and and, we, and she plugged her donkey studios, pottery. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah, yeah, her pottery is great. She's oh, really I love doing it. a great job. It really it. is good. We love it. And Ann, with her little owls and everything. And Ann Keen yeah. came on and plugged the, the Spice House and... Uh, so I've got Ann Keen in the next Fantastic Four audio comics. Oh. Not this one, but the one after. Yeah, she's, say, in she's it. the voice yeah. you need, really. Ann yeah, is be the good. best. Yeah, her voice is so great. So, anyway, thanks for being here, Harry. We got to wrap this up. Yes. Uh, yeah, so check out, out here, Harry, Harry Bauer on YouTube. Check out the consortium, the Mad Scientist Consortium. Uh, that was very good. Uh, and Harry's always creating something. Since I've known Harry, he's always creating writing plays, writing comedy yeah. shorts always something so follow him subscribe to his youtube channel he's a great guy other than that even even if he wasn't creating anything he's just a fucking all-around great guy so thanks for being here harry oh joe you just yeah. warmed my heart you're a great guy hey, amen yeah you're awesome too thanks. i love you both hey, thank man. you so much we love harry bauer so thanks so much and tell peter ellis we said hello and <laughs> yeah <laughs> we always take harry and pete together does he still have a stake in his pocket i don't yeah. know <laughs> Is he still a, is he still a loud talker? The steak in his pocket. We gotta uh, someday. We gotta mention that story about Peter. Ellis. I just yeah, remember my, my memory of you guys is at the AMA on the train home, and yeah. and Pete's such a loud talker, yeah. and you guys oh. would be on the train, and it's packed, yeah. and I would be yeah. a little far away from you, but I could hear every word he said to you, and I thought, yes. and you just looked mortified. <laughs> <laughs> Your face, you were just like looking down like, shut up. <laughs> I think it'd depend on the day. Like, I mean, I, I love Peter. I mean, Peter's oh, a yeah. great friend. Pete and there'd be times great. where I'd be like super engaged in deep conversation, but then, yeah, there are those times where everybody's quiet, and I'm just tired. Yes, and he was so loud. Oh, my God. I totally forgot about the meat pocket thing until you said it. Real quick, we went to a a pub crawl, and he got a steak, a breakfast steak. And he couldn't finish it. We started the pub crawl at 10 in the morning. We ended it usually at 7 p.m., and he couldn't finish the steak, and he's smart. You want to eat during a pub crawl, so he wrapped it in a napkin and put it in his pocket. pocket. 
And then every other every other bar, he'd pull it out of his pocket and take a couple of nipples out of it. He had a, <laughs> he had a pocket steak. That was Peter. Oh. Now we got to have Peter on here just to talk about If you're going to go the- on a pub crawl, have a pocket steak. <laughs> that's right. Steak. It was one of the best things that's ever happened on that pub crawl that we've done almost every year. So oh. anyway, thanks for being here. we got to leave now. Yes. Time yeah. to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Get out of here, Chuck Berry. Let Dale through. Thank you. Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Make me some cookies, bitch. Thank you, Bob. You.